This is Shaco Art Speak. Hey, it's Shaco Art Speak 30 Below with Ryan Letario and Dr. Blackwell. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Who, who had uh, some dairy <laughs> today, and so he's feeling strange. Yeah, I'm going to try not to sound funny. Dear dairy, it's been a long day. Um, so we are, uh, we've been talking about um, teachers and teachers teaching and, and impact, and we've talked about influence. And so uh, inspiration and objects. And so like some of that discussion has gotten us to this thing where we're talking about teachers. So um, in this short episode, we wanted to talk about um, just sort of maybe uh, the importance of teachers or possibly just the importance of of a teacher or professor uh, that is uh, acted as a catalyst for uh, focusing us, you know, or you, anyone into um, to a making practice of some kind. And so, um, yeah, we're going to kick this off under 30 minutes, hopefully. Yeah. And what do you got, Gareth? Well, I was thinking about this because uh, I have told stories over and over and over again um, to students um, that when I think back to what was kind of, you know, kind of formational with me even seeing art and design as a... As, as a possible step forward or as something that was a rich enough vein of study that it took time and interest and effort outside of just, you know, class or whatever. Um, there was a teacher that I had that really stood out because, I mean, my parents were always very supportive because both of them are heavily within the arts. They, they met as musicians and music students in college. So they, they were active in the arts and they see the value of it. Um, but, you know, that's usually our parents are supportive of a lot of things we do. But when you find those sort of singular people that are focused on one thing that can really dive in, um, it was really helpful. So uh, in second grade, we had art class every Wednesday. And we go to this uh, teacher's room. And she was fantastic. She was, you know, looking back, she was probably only a few years out of college. She was probably late 20s, maybe early 30s. Um, very, very nice lady. I mean, incredibly kind. Um, and even though we were second graders, I remember the things that we would do in class and they were not the things that I would necessarily picture a second grade art class doing. Because um, in first grade, we kind of had a, a roaming art teacher who went around through like the whole school district and you might get art class like twice a semester, but not much. Moving to second and third grade, we had a dedicated class. So we were doing like still life drawings in second grade and but then we were also doing like the you know cut out the construction paper and make yourself a christmas stocking <laughs> you know so it was yeah, like the craft stuff just the the crafty sort of like kids mm-hmm. stuff you think of but then she was also talking to us about drawing negative space mm-hmm. i mean like actually dealing with things that would be that were formational moving forward right but the lessons weren't really the things that that stuck with me the most um even though I remember those, the things that stuck with me is that this was a person who deeply loved what she did. And because of that, it made me take notice of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all the best teachers I had were in that space where they cared about something, but also the people they were working with enough that I was like, wow, what is, what is this? Like they care enough about this. Maybe I should, maybe I should care too. Mm-hmm. So let me find out some more. Yeah. And for the life of me, I've been racking my brain and for, forgive me, 
to this teacher that I cannot remember her name. Mm-hmm. And I have tried. And I'm going to dig through some old like school yearbooks or whatever and see if I can find out who she is. But I could not remember her name to save my life. But she's had such a huge impact regardless of that um, mm-hmm. moving forward. Because I think back about the things she's taught in class and how she was over and over again as a teacher myself. Mm-hmm. How can I be? How can I do the same sort of things and create those environments within my classrooms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the the conversation is important from the standpoint of, well, for many reasons, but one that jumps out to me when it comes to making, which is just me trying to be as pejorative as I can, like as far as crafting, design, painting, sculpting, like, yeah. you know, just kind of a catch-all way of, of encapsulating the point. Um, you're you're looking for uh, functioning examples of reinforcement for what you want to do. Yeah. So you need, so what's interesting is like you can kind of scaffold um, a maker's sort of story through to a point. They may start late in life. You have late bloomers. You have, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, you have uh, limited resources, so you may have a, you know, no examples, but you, you, you caught a glimpse of a comic book and you're, you know, got some watercolor somebody gave you for a birthday or something and you, you start to dabble and that, that's, that was kind of the extent. Um, but there's no question that the vitality of like concentrated embodied leadership, um, has a way of, uh, reinforcing cultural expressions that, um, that otherwise couldn't exist or you otherwise wouldn't be able to obtain to. And, uh, I guess when I'm thinking about this, it's like I have a like a line of people at every stage. Oh yeah. So, you know, a line of teachers. And <clears throat> one of the things that I think is just to contextualize this conversation a little bit is you know, there's vocational teacher, and then there's just um, the kind. There's not just, but it's, there's the person that exists in the world who makes and is willing to share a sense of what they make with uh, any anyone who's willing to listen. And I think that that is an important implication of a discussion like this because when we look for someone to reinforce the value of making, um, sometimes that reinforcement has to come from, uh, the people that are making so that you're not vocationally a teacher, but you're actually in, um, you're, 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 you are teaching in a way, you know what I mean? To, to whoever might, it might be family members. It might be neighbors. It might be, you're, you are a, a, um, plot in the, uh, the makeup of things that, that, uh, gives people a reference point. And so, um, I guess when I think about the importance of this conversation, uh, you know, and maybe that, that is a bigger conversation we can have another time, but I do think that that's sort of in the background of this discussion and, and why it might be worth kicking oh, yeah. this around a little bit. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Cause the, um, the other day, um, you know, my daughter, six years old, she knows what I do. Um, and so I came home and she said, uh, she said, dad, when are you going to teach me? <laughs> and, uh, my wife and I kind of chuckled a little bit because we we're like, I'm always teaching you right to your point that, uh, you know, she's not in my classroom, but we're still, you know, going to the museum together. We're still doing projects together. We're still doing things where she's learning. Um, and you know, some of that really just starts with kind of the permission to do the thing, mm-hmm. right? Like to to create a kind of sandbox of sorts to say, okay, well, this is where we're going to play today. 
and this is how you're going to learn, you know, and I don't think we ever stop doing that. You know, I think to maybe it's a provocative point, but, um, I would say something like we're always learning. It's just a matter of, are you learning things that are, you know, worth learning or are you reinforcing things that maybe aren't helpful? Right. Um, so it's something that's always going on. And so our teachers are everywhere. And so how do we start to recognize, you know, those teachers, I think is, you know, it's a, it's a good kind of thought to have, especially as makers, especially as people who, you know, we don't really graduate from art school and then we're done with that learning part. You know, we haven't gotten those skills and now we just go practice them. We're, we're constantly learning from the people around us, the people ahead of us, the people that, you know, we go to their retrospectives, the people who have, we have the books for and all that stuff. But yeah, the, uh, um, I think there's, there's very, there's very much a lot of worth in that conversation of teachers because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, I mean, I got like a, a list. Um, so, you know, if you like, you refer to like the talk that we did, Mm -hmm. you could hear a little bit about that. And so it's hard for me to pick one because there's just, uh, they're a kind of a collective baton passing community of people that either knew each other or didn't, but at, at select stages, you know, so I had my teachers, um, Mrs. Davis was kindergarten. Mrs. Davies was first grade. And I had a teacher in junior high school named Sass Robinson who um, lived in Hollywood and commuted, I think, an hour and a half to teach in, in my area, which was not Hollywood, not wealthy. Yeah. And uh, her husband worked for Ford, and she had, dec- she had a lot of money. Uh, she lived in a mansion next mm. to Quincy Jones and Magic Johnson. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so going to her house, going, getting to take a field trip to her house later in life, and she had a original Picasso. I mean, Gosh, she had a, nice. yeah, legit. But in junior high school, so she, she was formative because she was aware and bringing um, more vivid sort of understanding, like canonized understanding of art to the, to the equation than, than merely um, standardized teaching in, in elementary school in California. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, I had like um, my high school, a couple high school art teachers. One was Robin Young. Um, who pushed me to, you know, develop my work a little more and put me into a situation where I was in, entered a big district art show and I ended up winning a bunch of awards from that. Like there's like these, you know, pressure points, these, these, uh, these moments with people that had recognition and foresight to, to kind of keep you going, you know, from kindergarten all the way up to high school. And then, it, and then like Frank Dixon, you know, just to name people, um, uh, I was an illustrator in California that um, I think captured my imagination and brought that captured imagination into a uh, a bit of a lifestyle. Like I could I could see a glimpse of what a lifestyle looks like. Cynthia Monet, um, who's a uh, awesome sculptor in L.A., um, failed me out of art school. <laughs> Yeah. And told me that, you know, I needed to get my act together. It was real important. Yeah. And she was a good maker and, you know, was willing to kind of get in the weeds with us and draw paint. And so um, she used to put on music uh, from a radio station on NPR called The Metropolis. Uh-huh. And so like, so she was introducing me to painting and making drawing, but she also was like setting these contextual moods through musicality. Um, so I was, I was being, uh, activated in a sensory kind of way 
with my mind, my, my hands, my eyes, and then, and then the music. And so I was being enculturated, you know, um, in an honest way. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't manipulative. It was just like, uh, teaching me what it looked like to make a space to work in, in terms of the intangibles, the atmospheric, uh, aspects that could be conducive. And then Linda days will always be a seminal person. Um, Mark Emerson, uh, Dave Wetzel, uh, Oliver Jackson, um, in, uh, but especially, uh, Tom Monteith. So that's like one, one person that, um, spent a great deal of time with me and a lot of other people, uh, who really, uh, like upheld a high standard mm-hmm. and exhibited a kind of, uh, intensity towards learning that was, coming out of the culture of, of working with Oliver Jackson, like they worked together. Tom had studied with Oliver. Oliver was retiring. Tom was stepping in as the replacement for Oliver. Mm-hmm. And so Linda had sort of passed me to Tom because there was things that he could teach that Linda didn't know. Um, and so um, I literally wouldn't be here, you know, if it weren't for all of those people and there's more I could name, but certainly I wouldn't be here. Um, if it wasn't for Tom. So Tom, Tom was the kind of person that I would curate shows with and he would, um, and he probably still does this, you know, he's, he's out in Sacramento as a professor there, uh, a grossly underrated painter. Um, but we would like, he's the person where I would do, we would stay up all night making installations for painting class that were huge. I mean, they were like, bigger than you. You were immersed in the space. I mean, we'd drive in his truck and collect huge tree branches, paint them different colors, put black, um, trash bags on the floor, shine colored lights, pour water on it. So it'd create these color reflections off of these materials. And we would make these full installation sculptures and we would nitpick them in terms of their effects, what they did, how they functioned from every angle so that when it was time to paint, we were anticipating, uh, that everyone in the room would have a clear view to whatever we were teaching that day. And so, and, and he would, I mean, he was relentless. So we would talk about it ex- in an exhausting way and we would hang student shows and he would explore every possible equation of work and then ask you, you know, we would just go over it as not work as not work. We got to see it all. And so, you know, if, if, when I was working with him in a formative way, like, that intensity was brought in my painting practice, in my critiques, but also in uh, uh, creating uh, environments for learning, but also then creating, um, curating shows. And uh, sometimes it was like so tedious. I'm like, oh, come on, we know this is not going to work. We don't have to see every iteration. We know that that works. But if he didn't toe that line, I would not be here right now. Like I wouldn't wouldn't Hmm. be the known as the person that I am as far as being a curator and a teacher and a maker who's known for being somewhat intense, I guess, or thorough or, um, what have you. It's like, it, it came out of, uh, several years of intense engagement with these things. Like he never compromised, um, what the point was. And like that, that, like that is needed at every level. I think, you know, yeah, that, that's huge. And I was going to say, like, when you mentioned, uh, uh, the teacher who failed you out of art school, like, at the time, you probably were not saying that in a very positive way, mm. but you probably look back in a very different way now. Yeah. And I think that's an important part about like 
the teachers that stand out. They're not just the ones who are, you know, like you're saying, uh, creating the environments, mm-hmm. right? but they're also the ones who are saying, you also need to look at yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to see what do you actually want? Where are you actually headed with this? Yeah. You know, and so I, I had a teacher, um, in high school, he was a science teacher, oddly enough, but, uh, he cared so deeply about his students that he just was like, what is it you're going to do? How do we understand it? So during these science classes I took with him, his name was Mr. Rushing, fantastic man. He died way too soon. Um, but he, uh, he would always ask me, like, well, you know, what are you doing? What are you interested? What are you going into? What do you want to do? And he would hold you accountable because there was a way through all of his years of teaching and the, the, the love and concern he put into teaching that he could oftentimes see you better than you saw yourself, which, you know, when you're like 15, that being a little older than 15 now, it's not, maybe not so hard that you're right. able to see a 15 year old better than they are because there's a lot of stuff going on. So he would, he would straight up call you out on some things in a, in a loving way or in a kind way. So he wouldn't just like point you out in front of a class, but he'd come up and you'd be like, Hey, you're really not, this isn't, you're not, this is not you. You're not doing this well. You need to actually step into the things you're capable of doing, you know, and, and those have been really helpful defining moments uh, in my past looking back, right? That the, it's not just, oh, there was just constant encouragement, constant encouragement, but it was actually, no, there was some discouragement about the things that needed to be discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. I had, you know, so my, um, yeah, so Cynthia, I, I actually wrote to her and she said, she goes, she goes, oh my gosh, I remember that conversation. This is like 1995. And I wrote to her like two years ago and she goes, you're, you might be one of the few people that actually have succeeded that I know of, of my students out of that conversation. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So, Cause you could go two ways with it, right? Yeah. You just kind of quit. And I, and I could have, and I definitely tried and, but, um, you know, she also was vivid. She was like, you're immature. You're, you're, um, she named things. So she was like, you're, you know, like you have, um, ability and the ability to talk about things and you have insights that you need to develop but you also uh, can't control yourself. You joke too much. You don't pay attention. Um, and it's obnoxious. You know, so she, I mean, she was pretty clear. Later, you know, Linda Day told me that if I, I had ability, but I was spending too much time working a job 60 hours a week or whatever it was at times as a group home counselor. And she's like, I don't want to waste my time investing in someone who's not actually really trying to be an artist. Like, did you move to Sacramento to be an artist or did you move to Sacramento to continue being a counselor? And like, hmm. It was a pretty explicit um, clarifier, you know, um, you know, Oliver Jackson coming to a critique like I've talked about in the past and telling me I might be a painter. Like there's these like really, really explicit things. There's also things like I had a junior high school teacher named Larry Greatman who was a uh, uh, history teacher and he we had to take those junior high aptitude tests to see what we wanted to be vocationally. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mentioned this before, but. Uh, I wanted to be an artist. I've been saying it my whole life. And so he told me in front of the class that I was taking the easy way out and he was disappointed in me. Oh, wow. And um, that actually was, you know, that was very upsetting. My mom was, my mom was ticked. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I was ticked. I also respected him. So it was, it was uh, uh, very off putting for someone that I admired and I never rebounded from that. Cause I, and I, and I always had this quiet desire to come back and educate him on his, you know, poor understanding, yeah, but yeah. you know, never, that never happened. But those kinds of things were uh, galvanizing for better or worse 
know, they were they were like uh, you know, motivating moments where you needed someone to kind of pin you down, uh, for better or worse, and kind of like mark that time. And uh, one of the things that I think about in this conversation uh, that's worth sort of throwing out there is I don't know that there's ever a time that we stop needing mm-hmm. that, which is why I think I talk so much or we talk so much and think so much about community building or knowing and being known is um, you you don't come to a place where you you stop needing outside voices. Oh, definitely. So Jackson Pollock, I mean, you know, he's Jackson Pollock is well understood and, you know, there's a lot of problems there. But, you know, when you look at Clement Greenberg's relationship to mm-hmm. Pollock and de Kooning and that whole school of, of painting going on at a particular time, there was a way that they were mutually galvanizing each other. They needed a word from each other. They needed the words needed expressions and the expressions needed words and they needed outside voices. And so you've seen this kind of role filled through curators and writers and oh, yeah. critics, probably art designers. Yeah. I mean, you see, I mean, you if know. you, if you really start reading into the things that, um, the Bauhaus was doing, mm-hmm. it's sometimes hard to figure out who the students were because the masters that were at the Bauhaus doing their work, uh, they were very much doing work together. They were pushing on each other. They were making things. And there was something coming out of that, out of this space where these teachers, um, knew enough to know that they didn't know as much as they could. Yeah. That that was a huge thing, right? right. And and because of that posture, uh, the the collaboration, the growth, the ability to really push their students in different ways and create new opportunities through new spaces for making mm-hmm. uh, and performance, like that happened because even these masters at the school were the ones who were still engaged in that learning because like you said, they, they realized that they hadn't gotten to a point where they stopped needing a teacher. Yeah. 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 And so I think, I mean, I think when you talk about like art culture, one of the things I'd love to see more of is, uh, the side, Oh gosh, the sidestep of authority a little bit, like, like knowing you gotta, you gotta kind of know what you know enough to clarify what you don't know so that you're confident to speak regarding what you know Mm -hmm. so that someone can hear it clearly and be benefited by it. If you're constantly undermining, um, your stance, it's hard to, it's hard to receive it, uh, clearly as the recipient because you're, you're, if you, if you're delivering it and you, you have too many questions, uh, undermining your delivery, uh, it's hard to receive it well because Mm -hmm. I'm still, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that you're not confident in what you're saying. And, and so, um, you know, and I, I guess one of the, the things I think about is like, and, and it can get lonely. Like I, uh, I find it harder to get, um, sometimes peer insight mm-hmm. on specifically what I do. Uh, generally yeah. speaking, you know, like you and I have a good rapport, but there, there is things where like, I can only get so deep into what you do. Like yeah. I, I don't, I don't have the same here. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, there is a struggle there, you know, and, and I don't know if it, I, I guess one of the questions I'm having or working out is like, um, uh, how do you find it when you don't have it? How do you find the teachers yeah. when, when you obtain to a certain level as a teacher, as a professor, right? Uh, or a studio artist, like some of, some, some of our listeners are in their studios and they're making and where are they going to find mentorship or uh, outside influence? Um, 
I mean, that's a good question. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good question because I think that there are, uh, I, at least I've observed, there seems to be sort of a, a life cycle, right? Mm-hmm. You, you go through school and you really very much understand, oh, okay, I need these teachers. They're teaching me these things. When students graduate, there's a strange period almost where they feel like they're not allowed to have a teacher. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm here. I'm doing that thing. Yep. I've, I've gotten to where I need to be. And then a few years pass and you realize, oh, I actually... I need to know some more stuff. Mm-hmm. Help me find somebody. And there's a, like, a, like an aching almost for yeah. mentors. Yeah. And I think that's when we start to have this question start to come up. Because yeah. I, I couldn't tell you if you're, if you're three years into your career, hopefully you're in a junior position somewhere and there's a senior position. In my case, like you're a junior designer and there's a senior designer who's doing that for you that's leading you or a creative right. director or whatever. But, you know, if you've been in the field for 15 or 20 years, like you're saying, and you've reached yeah. a point... Yeah, where do, where does that happen? That's a yeah. tough question. And is it really a question? Is there ever a point where you stop needing that? Like one thing I've observed at VCU over the years is it's the number one sculpture program in the country. And one thing I, I'd seen historically from a lot of a lot of the uh, my peers um, is some of the better makers never seem to have a problem asking or like so they would conceive of a of a project. And then pursue like so it could involve fabrication outside of the realm of their making experience. Yeah. And one thing that uh, uh, struck me in a wonderful way is uh, some of the best makers, and we have some historically some some of the best makers around, best artists, best sculptors yeah, in yeah. the world. Right. Is um, the willingness to find the master at that thing. So yeah. you know the the pursuit of the teacher maybe doesn't 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 encompass them needing everything but mm-hmm. there's always new things and there's a humility to be like you know how do i powder coat how do i uh how do i learn to weld now tack like even just mm-hmm. tack welding or oh, yeah. like uh you know i want to make these um vacuum seal forms mm-hmm. and um you know how do i run this equipment this machinery who can i go to and i, and I remember one of the the things that really uh was eye-opening to me uh, when I got here is like people would contact industries that had no, the industries had no relationship to the arts. Mm-hmm. So then what they were doing was they were uh, contextualizing the arts to the industry, which was creating a generative possibility um, because yeah. their work was angling towards that. And I, and I, you know, I hadn't seen that in my limited experience prior to VCU, mm-hmm. but it changed my view of uh, what's possible and when I need it. Like, like I can go to uh, experts in a field, mm-hmm. you know, and, and ask and just and just risk it and ask directly, how do I do this? You know, if I need if I want an auto body finish, maybe I just go to an auto body painter. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, as a teacher and like really position myself as a student um, so that I'm, you know, I'm not denying myself the ability to learn under the assumption that I've arrived. Yeah. I think is the big point. Well, I think also there's. um I think that we probably have both learned um, from teaching and you hear this a lot kind of in a sort of passing way that um, if you really want to know something, uh, you need to teach it Yeah. because in teaching you learn so yeah. much more about what you do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big thing. We usually think kind of upstream when we think of like teachers and mentors, like who is it that can teach me? We don't yeah. think of the fact that we can turn around and do the same thing. Yeah. So I think in some ways, like maybe the answer to that is, uh, you know, it's like <laughs> to, to take the 
the very often used quote from Gandhi and change a little bit. It's like, be the teacher you hope to see in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think so. You know, I think there's some truth in that as right. uh, silly as it might sound, but, um, but you know, so it's, it's like, be the, you know, be that mentor and maybe you starting that can start to help find a place where yours comes from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely models the the picture. I'd also say like, uh, one thing that I think about and when I'm not thinking about it, it doesn't go as well is no matter what you think philosophically about what you make. So like at least I'm talking in the fine art kind of contemporary art painting sphere, but it could apply anywhere, I suppose is, um, don't, I guess the thing that I, I wrestle with is like, there's times where I don't know, like I don't know very well what I'm doing, but I have an instinct to make. Mm-hmm. There's other times though, like where, where I'm willing to own the demands of the making. And what that means is I am holding myself accountable to ask questions of my work that actually can be answered enough so that somebody else experiences the works on the terms of the work. In other words, uh, learn your work well enough so you can ask pointed questions and obtain answers that actually impact the quality of the work. No matter how abstract you are, no matter how conceptual you are, if you're choosing to deal with matter, you will have to ask material questions in order to specify your work in a way that makes it unique impactful, influential, or meaningful, if you will, to someone else. And I don't see a time where, where that's never not uh, a demand that's before you, mm-hmm. you know? No, definitely. I think that, you know, the, the more we know our work, the easier it is to find people who can be teachers for us. That's exactly right. Because then we actually have real questions we're asking. Yeah. Um, which is something I share with a lot of uh young designers who are trying to, you know, figure out how to improve their portfolio or anything. I'm like, well, yeah. we got to start with better questions first. Yeah. 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 Cause mean, otherwise yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I'm going to be a horrible teacher. If you just tell me what could be different, right? Everything, could everything be different. Could be different. That's generic. That's not it's helpful though. Generic. Yeah. It's too yeah. generic. It's like Kylo Ren said to Ray in force awakens. You need a teacher. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right. I'm not very good at cooking. Yeah. Uh, but what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, uh, yeah. It, and, but I also think, you know, we need to also remember uh, there should be a great deal of gratitude to the people that have taught us. And but totally. before I know, I, I feel it more and more poignant, like every oh, yeah. year, yeah, 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 like, yeah. you know, thank goodness that those people were doing what they were doing and right. showing me the things they were showing, putting the books in my hands, telling me about the, uh, you know, the documentaries or the, the TV shows or whatever I needed to watch to just kind of keep me chugging along or the people that like my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Hardy, who I would get finished with work early and she would say, go find anything in the encyclopedia and make us a poster about it and tell mm-hmm. the class later. Because she saw that all I was doing was just like doodling yeah. after I was done with work. And she was like, go do something productive with it. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like, thank Yeah. Thank shout out. You know, I had that. teachers like Mr. Harding, like that let me um, embellish my book cover reports. Like that yeah. actually made yeah. me, I wrote better if I was allowed to do a little more with the, uh, the book cover of the report, you know, like I was like, if you let me draw the cover, yeah, and illustrate it, I will probably do better work. And so like, even like little allowances like that actually had some kind of, um, you know, some kind of payoff. And, uh, you know, and then I had I, one of my, the most influential people for me is Stephen Kaltenbach. And he, you know, he would, um, in the mix of this wonderful group of people, like he would, he was willing to spend, um, as this really, really important artist, really kind of known, but he was really able to sit down and be vulnerable. Yeah. Just be really, 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 really real. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes to the point where you're like, whoa, like for real, you think that? Like you're worried about that? Like, but um, that intimate consideration mm-hmm. 
was meeting a need. And, and I guess the one thing is that none of my teachers had to meet every need. Right. So it was community-based. Yeah. Now, they didn't all see it that way, per se, and I didn't see it that way. But in hindsight, I could say that. And then I could take that and do what we talk about and project that forward and say, oh, we could be better at this by understanding that we don't have to do everything. Yeah. But that cumulatively, we can we can create a more sort of robust soil for, for um, the next generation of makers and um, better studio visits, you know, better mentorship, better critiques. And so I don't know, I'd love to hear, I guess in closing, I'd love to hear um, where people are getting that. Yeah. What are, what are their stories on mentorship? Yeah. I'd love to hear about the, the teachers that people have had in their life that stood out, uh, the reason they did, um, you know, the mentors they have, where they find, you know, that they can still learn and where those spaces are. I'd love to hear that. And I know it'd be helpful to all the other people listening as well to share mm-hmm. it. So, um, yeah. Thank you all for joining us this Support time. Support us on Patreon. <laughs> We are on Patreon, so please uh, get there, get in the conversation. Um, we've got some fantastic things coming down the pipe, so we want you to be a part of it. But also, we just want to keep this train moving. Yeah, we, so. we want Chicago Art Speak to continue. Share it with your friends, 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 <laughs> friends, friends, friends. And on that note, thanks again, y'all. Uh, fantastic audience. We love y'all, and uh, we'll check you next time. You've been listening to Chicago Art Speak, a production of Chicago Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at ShacoArtspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.